Welcome to the teaching ministry of Temple Baptist Church. While we hope you can join us in person, our prayer is that this message will encourage you to love God and serve Him in a deeper way. Well, 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 good morning, good morning, good morning. It really is so good to see you. I hope our students and our teachers had a great March break. Did you enjoy your March break? No. Okay, great. <laughs> had one voice speak for everyone right there in the front there. Uh, if you are our guest, we just want to say a special welcome to you. Um, we actually are, feel very privileged that you would share part of your weekend with us here at Temple Baptist Church. My name is Donald, by the way, and uh, I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, very exciting to see these young children dedicated to the Lord. Uh, it's just awesome and very exciting to have the, the Burton clan. It's like you take a third of our church over there, so we're really glad to have you here this morning. So many guests. Well, believe it or not, believe it or not, we are in week seven of the book of Jonah. And I know some of you are thinking already, when are you going to wrap this thing up, Donald? It's 48 verses for crying out loud. How slow can you drag this out? I raise my right hand and make a pledge. Next week, I'll wrap this. I'll land this ship. Or land, no, land a ship. You land a plane, don't you? I'll dock the ship. How's that? We have said from day one that this book of Jonah is far more than a book about a man named Jonah who gets thrown overboard. No, this book is all about sin and grace. It's all about the fact that we sin, but God's grace always reaches farther. This story is really a story about desperation and deliverance and we've seen it in chapter one we've seen it in chapter two we've seen it in chapter three and today we're going to see it in chapter four it's been quite a journey that we have been on these last number of weeks and when I when we started I said there's so much drama that is going in uh, into this book that happens in this book that a blockbuster movie could take place uh, in fact, as you read chapter 4, it kind of reminds me of sometimes, you know, you're watching a movie and it ends and you, you're like, I, I don't think I like the way this ends. You ever, you ever watch a movie and the credits are going by and you're going, I don't think I like the way this ended. You know, and uh, a, a few years ago, uh, uh, some of us went over to um, England for a, a trip and we were in the West End of England, which is where they would, what we call Broadway shows. And we went to this one show, and it was called Blood Brothers. And the storyline was very powerful. The music was very powerful. And then, you know, it, it's like it's drawing me in. Like, all oh, my senses are, and I'm listening, and I'm watching. And all of a sudden, bang. Literally, bang. Shots go off, and the two main characters lie on the floor dead, and the curtains close. I'm like, what is that all about? There's no clapping. There's no cheering. You have 1,500 people, and all you can hear is, <laughs> people just break out in, in, in tears. And, and as I was watching, I thought, surely the writers could come up with a better ending than that. You're, they're going to make me go back to my hotel room, totally depressed, instead of full of cheer? Like, I just didn't like the ending of that. Well, that's exactly how I feel about the book of Jonah. How the book of Jonah ends, it leaves me with all kinds of questions. Like, well, what happened next? 
Like, what happened to Jonah? Uh, did, did he go back home? Like, 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 what? It seems like there's no answer to the questions that I have. So with that, take your Bibles, if you will, if you have them. I hope you brought them or some kind of electronic device that you can follow along. And turn to the book of Jonah. We're going to read chapter 4. The book of Jonah. Are you there? I'm not. Okay, I just found it. I thought someone stole it in my Bible. Okay, Jonah chapter 4. And we're going to see the contrast that God has towards Nineveh and, and Jonah's response to Nineveh. So I'm going to ask you to stand. Would you stand with me as we read chapter uh, 4? together. In fact, let's just go back to the last verse of chapter 3. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. But Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. What in the world? Have you ever met a guy like this before? What is going on? He is so angry at God for doing to the Ninevites what God had just done for him back in chapter 1 and chapter 2. You know where Jonah goes running, and then God chases after Jonah, and then God gives Jonah a second chance? Yeah. Well, God does the exact same thing with the Ninevites, and this is his response. Never met a guy like this before. It's unbelievable. Well, let's pick it up. And Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? This is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew, I knew it, that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, O oh Lord, just take away my life, for it's better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, Jonah, have you any right to be angry? Jonah went out and sat down at a place east of the city, and there he made himself a shelter, sat in it, shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord, then the Lord God provided a vine, and it made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort, and Jonah was very happy about the vine. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm, which chewed the vine so it withered. And when the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you have a right to be angry about the vine? I do, he said. I am angry enough to die. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this vine, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about this great city? And then it ends. I'm like, uh, uh, uh what's next? Like, like, is Jonah not happy? Does, does he go back home and tell all of his friends? Oh, it's amazing what took place. I, I don't know. So let's pray. Father, we pray in these next few moments as we open up your word. I pray, Lord, that you would speak to us. 
Lord, we need to hear from you today. And Lord, there are people here this morning, I believe that they're, they're at their end of the rope. And Lord, they desperately need to hear from you. So Lord, open our eyes to be able to see you and all of your splendor and this radical grace that you pour on us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Honestly, I mean, honestly, would you not expect, would you not expect that Jonah's response should be far different? Wouldn't you think Jonah would say, oh, Lord, thank you for using me. This has been so exhilarating what's taking place. I mean, I'm so pumped up what I've just seen. You did the impossible, God. Who would have ever thought, I mean, who would have ever thought the Ninevites of all the people in the world that they would turn to you? Man, this is crazy stuff, God. No, that's not his response. I mean, this is a big, big win for Jonah. This is like the Super Bowl of revivals, the World Series, the Stanley Cup playoffs of revivals. This is what you would expect. You would expect that a group of guys would come with their, their um, Gatorade and pour it over his head and say, man, good job, Jonah. You know, because when you have that kind of a success, as he did, 120,000 people came to know the Lord. I mean, you would think, if that was to happen today, would you not know that he would be invited to every conference that would known to mankind across the world? Would they not be uh, printing t-shirts? Would they not be making embossing uh, mugs, making paraphernalia, uh, selling pencils and pen sets that matched the outfit that he wore that day when the revival took place. I mean, wouldn't he be talked, invited to every talk show? Wouldn't he be on the front cover of People's Magazine, the front cover of Time Magazine, Sexiest Man Alive? Yes, because that's how we celebrate success. But look at Jonah. Look at Jonah. 24 hours later, he is ticked off. I mean, he is burning. Jonah definitely has some anger issues. It seems like this is the time to call in Dr. Phil. Or pull out the sofa for Oprah so he can tell his complete story. It seems as though what we're discovering, it seems like a harsh word, but Jonah is a narcissist. It's like it's all about him and how he feels and his happiness. That's what we're discovering about Jonah. He's still struggling with uh, racial discrimination, still holding on to this idea that I'm a little bit better than those out there. And I've said from day one that you and I have a lot in common with Jonah. I know we don't like to admit it. I don't like to admit it. But the more and more I read, the more and more I understand we are like Jonah. And we're given a sneak peek into Jonah's life, honestly, so we can see ourselves. That we are sinners in need of a Savior. And just because we experience the grace of God in the day that of our salvation does not mean that we don't need it tomorrow and the next day and the next day. You know, I have people all the time tell me, no, Donald, I, I, I just, like, I, I can't, I can't beat this sin in my life. It just, it just seems to have a grip on me. And I'm starting to come to realize that some people's faith is a, it's a one hour a week thing. It's like just every seven days. And our faith needs to be lived out day to day. 
or sin will knock you off your feet. That's why we need the grace of God day after day after day. How quick we are, how quick Donald Calder is to run from God, and how quick God is to run after his people. I mean, how many times have we maybe, we've been somewhere and we have a child um, and there's a danger spot maybe on the other side of the field and you say to your child, now listen, don't go over there because that, that's dangerous over there. And time goes by and you see your child getting closer. And you say, no, John, Johnny, come on back here. It's, it's a little dangerous over there. Come on back. And then time goes by and you see like your child is, is, run, is, is actually really going towards where it's very dangerous. What do you do? You don't just wash your hand and go, well, he'll get what he deserves. No. As a parent, you run after your child, right? You run because you love them and you want to spare them from all the hurt and pain. Well, that's exactly what God's doing. He's running after Jonah, just like he runs after us. And what a contrast Jonah has here. God's capacity to forgive is infinitely greater than our capacity to sin. And Jonah's response is, I knew it, I knew it, God, I knew you would do this. That's why I'm so mad. I knew, in fact, it says there, I knew that you are a great God, you're full of compassion, you're abundant in loving kindness. And frankly, it ticks me off. That's Jonah's response. He is exposing himself for all that he's worth. He's messed up. Like you just want to put your arm around Jonah and go, zip it. Like you're saying, you're talking too much right now. People are, are listening. What a contrast. What a contrast between Jonah's response and God's response. You know, honestly, I have to admit, I, I was quite surprised when you read chapter one that here's the, the prophet of God, the prophet of God who, who decides he's going to run in the opposite direction of where God's asked him to go. And he runs but no greater surprise than what takes here, place here in chapter 4. I mean, there's a lot of surprises in this book, but this might be one of the greatest ones. That Jonah gets angry at his own success. And he's angry at God's mercy. It's like, Lord, I told you this would happen. This is exactly why I bought my ticket to get on that ship that headed the Tarshish. This is exactly why because I wanted to delay any possibility that you would show your mercy and grace on those Ninevites. Do you know what Jonah's saying? He says, I am so thankful that you gave me a second chance. But those people, those people, no, they don't deserve a second chance. You know, thank you, Lord, for running after me. And thank you for forgiving me, but I will never I will never forgive those people. I said earlier, the Ninevites were the enemy of Israel. I mean, they are the epicenter of cruelty. They would be like the modern-day ISIS. Uh, in their day, they would have been considered the most evil, most wicked. Uh, their creativity to, to figure out how to torture people was second to none. And Jonah's like, no, never well, I forgive those people. Yeah, God, I deserve your grace and mercy. But not those people. Not those people. I think probably we would even have people in our own church family who would be angry enough to say, no, not those people. 
I think there's probably some here that maybe are harboring some bitterness and has taken control of your life. You know, maybe there's someone here that has been sexually abused or physically abused or verbally abused. Or maybe someone has hung you out to dry or someone has shared your most guarded secret and you seethe with anger. Well, the reality is that we don't deal with it. We build a house of unforgiveness. We build a fortress of bitterness. You know, maybe it's at your spouse. Maybe because you don't feel like they're meeting your emotional needs. Maybe it's at your parents because of the way they treated you. Maybe it's at your kids because they don't call home enough. And the reality is if we don't deal with it, we become a slave to it. And we actually lose the freedom that Christ gives. We've learned a lot about Jonah in the last seven weeks. We've learned he's self-righteous. We learned he's stubborn. He's rebellious. He's a racist. He's narcissistic. He's self-serving. He's all about revenge. It's like we're seeing the gospel story played right out in front of us. Right in front of us as we go through the book of Jonah. Our sin is great, but God's grace is greater. And God came to do for Jonah what Jonah could not do for himself. And God came to do for the Ninevites what, God, what the Ninevites could not do for themselves. And God sent Jesus to do what we could not do for ourselves. And Jesus died, lived a life that we could not live and died a death that we should have. This is why I said last week, the gospel is not just for the bad, bad guys that walk the streets of Sarnia. The gospel is for the Christian, even the saintly of saints, are in need of God's grace for day to day. And this is God's message, I think, to the Christian as well. We need the gospel. The gospel is the only antidote to our sin problem. And then the worst of Jonah is saved for the last right here in chapter 4. It's amazing. He lays all of his cards on the table and he shows us just how self-righteous he really is. That's why he says, God, that's why I ran in the first place from you. Because I knew you would show your mercy and that you would relent from pouring out your anger on those people. And God, that's why I'm furious at you. That's why I'm mad at you. That's why I'm angry with you. This verse, these verses reveal a lot about Jonah. And it reveals some things about ourselves. Number one is that Jonah doesn't get it. Like Jonah doesn't get it. He doesn't get God's grace. And he doesn't trust God's ways. And I think we can relate to that. Sometimes we just don't get it the grace of God. And sometimes we find it very hard to trust God's ways. I do. You see, Jonah, I don't know, it seems like Jonah f senses that God is obligated to him to make his life happy and good the way he wanted to, to, to play out. It's like, God, I've done all kinds of good things in my life, but this, you know, I, I think it's time that you do it my way this time. I am not like them. I think it feels what he's saying. 
Yes, God, I am worthy of your rescue, but not them. When we really understand grace, it destroys any sense of superiority. When we really understand grace, it eradicates any sense of superiority. And at some level, all of us, at some level, think we're just a little bit better. I, I do. I struggle with that. I think we're just a little bit better. But when we understand grace, like the grace of God, it puts us all on level ground. And God extends to us grace, not because we grew up on the right side of the tracks, not because we made some good decisions when we were younger, not because our grandma was saved, not because our daddy was saved, not because we deserved it. He saved us because of a thread called grace. And sometimes, sometimes, we as Christians have a spiritual short-term memory loss. We forget the pit that God's pulled us out of as he lavished his grace on us. You know, this week I was, I was just dreaming about this church and, and our church family and, and I, th I said, you know, I, I hope, I pray that this place is a place of grace. Where when, when people are asked in Sarnia, what do you know about Temple Baptist Church? They would say, oh, ho, 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 that's a place of grace. People who don't know Christ are well received. A place of grace. As Christians, we have spent an enormous amount of energy over the years debating truth. But what about grace? How rare to find a church competing to outgrace its rivals. How rare to find a church that's going to outgrace the rivals. Now, it's at this point that I know people are thinking to themselves, but Donald, you got to be careful about preaching that grace stuff. Too much grace. You know what happens when too much grace happens? People just sin, and they sin because grace abounds. Be careful, Donald. Can't be preaching too much grace. Let me tell you, grace is not ignorant, and grace is not blind. Grace is not patting someone on the back and saying, you continue with that affair. Grace is not saying, hey, you just continue with that lie of yours. That's not grace. See, the Bible says Jesus came in grace and truth. And grace without truth is compromise. And truth without grace is condemnation. You hear that? Grace without truth is compromise. And truth without grace is condemnation. That's why the Apostle Paul says, when you speak the truth, wrap it in love. And some of us are like bulls in a china shop. Man, we got the truth. 
tell it just like it is. How's that going for you? The Apostle Paul says, take that truth and wrap it in grace. Grace is not blind. Yep, grace sees the sin and covers it. Grace sees the inconsistency and forgives it. Grace sees the mistakes and forgives it. Grace sees the failures and forgives it 70 times 7. I think the height of hypocrisy is for me to be saved by grace, to receive the grace of God and yet withhold it from someone else. We were not saved to be cul-de-sacs of grace. We're saved to be highways of grace. And here in chapter 4, a, mo a monumental move of God's grace is described to us. I, I believe it's the greatest revival ever recorded in all of history. 120,000 people come to know God. And God just pours out his grace on the city. And you think to yourself, why would he even use Jonah? Because of grace. How could he use Jonah? Because of grace. You know, we read, we hear, we believe, we study a good theology about grace. But the question is, do we live a life of grace? And that's the good news of the gospel. The grace gets extended to all. I was uh, thinking about the song Amazing Grace. Probably, I don't know, my, maybe it's the most popular hymn ever sung around the world. It's recorded by gospel singers and, and uh, secular entertainers. And I'm sure most of you know the story behind that. John Newton had a really rough life growing up. Um, became a captain of a slave ship. And for 20 years, he transported slaves back and forth. And after that was over, he talks about that he had nightmares about how he treated those slaves that were bought and sold on the open market. But then he came to know Christ. And so overwhelmed by God's grace in his life, that's how we pen those words, amazing grace. It is sweet to my ears. How sweet the sound. He understood when he said, that saved a wretch like me. John Newton looked at his life and go, how could, how could it even be possible that God could redeem my life? But he saved a wretch like me. He says, I was blind, but now I see. And he understood what amazing grace is. Just for a minute, imagine a world with no grace. Just imagine a world with no grace. What a horrific place to live. When I was in Sunday school years and years ago, well, not that many years ago, um, we were given some definitions of, of a couple words, definitions for grace and mercy and justice. Grace is getting what, right, what we don't deserve. Mercy is not getting what we do deserve. And justice is getting exactly what we do deserve. And Jonah deserved justice 
receive grace. It's kind of ironic that everything that Jonah experienced in his life is now everything that despises about God. Strange. It's like no one deserves grace like I do. No one deserves it like me. Why is it so hard? Why is it so hard for us to extend grace that has been extended to us? Why do we struggle with that so, so much? Boy, I have to keep reminding myself every day. I remind myself every day, Donald, remember you're no better than anyone else. But by the grace of God, there would go. You would go. It seems like it's a natural tendency for us just to live on that plane where we're a little bit better. And then I start to realize I don't think I fully understand God's grace when I live on that plane. When I live ungraciously, I don't think I'm really getting God's grace. So let me ask you, why don't you take the opportunity, ask your spouse, ask a friend, ask your children, ask your parents, ask your boss, do I live graciously? Like, do I live graciously? Because if I don't, would you tell me? The Bible says that Jesus scooped really low because he became sin for us who knew no sin. That's how low he had to go for us. And I trust that we know grace more than just intellectually, but that we get to live it out. Because grace does not end at salvation. We need it every day of our lives. Now, we don't need grace to love people that love us. We don't need grace to, to like people that like us. We don't need grace to be kind to people that are kind to us. But we do need grace for those who don't like us and who don't love us and who don't treat us kindly. Jonah didn't really get God's grace. And boy, he had a hard time trusting God's ways. It's a radical grace that's exposed here in the book of Jonah. God calls the plan, calls the play, and Jonah doesn't like the play. God opens up his plan book, and it differs from Jonah's. And Jonah has a very hard time trusting God. Let me ask you, what happens when your plan book doesn't line up to God's plan book? When it differs? Do you say, you know, God, I think you should have consulted me with this one. What's so interesting here in chapter 4, Jonah says, I would rather die than do what God wants. Like, that was the better option. Here, the prophet of God. And this is where I say we need to trust him even when you can't trace his hand. To trust him. When your circumstances might suggest that God has, has let this one go, that he's missed it, that's where we need to step out and trust God. Because when Donald trusts Donald, he falls into slavery. That's where the freedom comes, when you can trust, trust God. And honestly, I have to fight that every day fight it 
You know, I had a friend of mine, a really, really, really good friend of mine this week die. He led worship at his church on Sunday, stepped off the stage, and had a brain aneurysm. 30 years old. And I go to myself, God, you know, I'm not one to question you, but this makes no sense to me. I can think of a lot of people you should take home. But not, not John. Not John. And that's where I'm forced to trust God because that's where freedom is. When it comes to God's grace, it is bottomless. It's bottomless. And so I always pray, God, strip me of me because that's where I'll find freedom. And Jesus is God's graciousness. He was my intervention. He was, he's your intervention. He's the sinner's intervention. God has come in Christ and in Christ so that we could be set free. And do you know him? And can you trust him this morning? And how is that grace going when it comes to being extended to others? Because I know for me, I have to fight it every day because you know what? I get pride that I have to keep working on all the time. I got unforgiveness that can, if I'm not careful, will grip me. So it's something I deal with every day when it comes to living graciously. My friend who passed away this week, the memorial service was yesterday. And as I was thinking about the book of Jonah, I couldn't help but think about how he lived his life. This was his motto. Best way to love Jesus is to love people. Best way to love Jesus is to love people. Even the ones that aren't that nice to you. I guess that's why at 30 years of age, his life has affected literally tens of thousands of people around the world. Because he lived that out. The best way I can show that I love Jesus is I'm going to love people. I think one of the best ways that our church can show that we love Jesus is we love the people of Sarnia. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we thank you for our time this morning. We, we thank you for your word. We thank you for what it says. And uh, Lord, as we've been making our way through the book of Jonah, we have seen it through every verse the grace of God that is extended to us. We see it in Jonah and we see ourselves in Jonah. It's like a mirror when we read this book because we see ourselves. We run from you at times. We do our own thing at times. And there's you, a loving, kind, compassionate God chasing after us so you can pour out your grace. Lord, it's a radical grace. It's scandalous, the grace that you pour out on your people. And we say thank you. Now, Lord, our prayer is that we would live it out, the grace that has been poured in us.